Hi, it's Damien from The Awkward In-Between. I hope you enjoyed our most recent episode with Steve and Carl. If you really enjoyed that episode, we actually kept the tape rolling after we wrapped up that podcast and we had some bonus content, which we now thought we'd share with you. Appreciate you guys. Love you both greatly. And uh, yeah, so grateful for the part that you've both played in my journey. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. I kind of now that we have kind of finished the podcast, yeah. I just want to hang out. And Ask more <laughs> awkward questions. Now we can go. Now we can really let loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You better crack open one of those bottles now, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's sitting next yeah. to them. I don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> choices, choices. But no, go um, ahead, and if you don't be afraid of asking questions on if there's a controversial post going on on my on my Facebook. I've, yeah. I've, all right, Got a I'll very vast range of, you know, <laughs> ultra-conservative Catholics and Sydney evangelicals and all, all kinds of people. And, and yeah. if people are kind and respectful, then it's it's always fun. No, and and I think that that's a yeah, that's this podcast, I guess, in a in a little box is just kind of going. We've got to be able to have conversations yeah. and not have to to agree for it to be civil, you know. Mm. And gracious and, and yeah. from a place of love. You know, we had great chat with um, Caleb Hart. Did you ever meet Caleb, Steve? Yep, yep. From Tasman Jude? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and got into, you know, topics of kind of racism and stuff with him. And, again, he, he's so gracious. He's kind of like, well, you know, you guys are, you know, straight straight and white and middle-aged and, and you've kind of basically hit the jackpot, but it's not your fault. Like, you didn't ask to be those things. It's just what you got dealt. And it's been like a royal flush, you know? <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I guess. And that, you know, when we were trying to decide whether to even go ahead with doing the podcast, a lot of it were, you know, one of the big questions we were asking is kind of like, does the world really need the opinions of, you know, two more middle-aged white guys it's kind of like well, <laughs> no but maybe some of the middle-aged white guys out there could afford to, to oh, look, hear some things you know to actually have models of middle-aged white guys doing this work mm. and bringing in perspectives other than their own is really really needed because you know what middle-aged white guys are a big voting block and yeah. have a lot of power <laughs> yeah and own a lot of industries and and if there aren't good examples of that out there, then society isn't going to be able to move forward because mm. we can't just we can't just get rid of you lot and then build a society without you. That's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this work has to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think we're never going to get to the position where you know the whole world is inclusive. I don't think no. we're ever going to get there. Um, but I think creating those spaces where you just have to respect it, I think, is is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, even, you know, racism and that exists currently and, you know, that's been going on for much longer than this issue of sexuality. Mm. So I think we're never going to get rid of it. I think we need to respect it. You know, there's stuff that, you know, I probably don't believe in, but, you know, I I respect that space. Mm. Um, you know, it's me, you know, the, the whole religious freedom thing, you know, being able to go, you know, it's my religious f- freedom to believe this, which is fine, but I'm not going to put my relig- force my religious beliefs onto someone else. Yeah. Um, that's that's the big difference. And, you know, this big discussion that's going on in that religious freedom space is, is focused around that. 
Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's really interesting actually you're saying that now because it's kind of um, – I always look at like humans as individuals, the kind of microcosms of humanity as a whole. And as an individual, we, you know, getting to that place in life where you kind Back of reconcile sec. the fact that me as an individual, I will always have tensions and I will always have difficulties and senses of doubt within myself and areas of feeling lack and whatever. But being able to, to get to a place of being gracious and at peace, that's okay. That's what it means to be a human being. Um, and I think kind of, Steve, what you're saying is, you know, like it's the same as society. We're, to get, you know, we're never actually going to get to this place of some utopian ideal where we all just love each other and get along but also find a place. Get, but that's okay yeah. that society is like that as well because that's, that's what life's like. Yeah, I think it's, it's really hard when you are a group of people Ooh. who have had the defining opinion for a long time. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. we've said like, cis, straight, white, male, all that kind of stuff, but also Christian. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. Christians have had the deciding opinion. When some churches were okay with contraception, it became legal. When some churches were okay with integrating mm -hmm. the races, it became legal. Yeah. And then with the question about homosexuality, the church said, no, we're not moving, and society moved anyway. Yeah. And so the church was in this space where it's like, hang on, we didn't get to decide anymore. Mm. And that feels like my right to an opinion got taken away from me. Mm. But what actually happened was the right to the deciding opinion got yeah. taken away. Yeah. 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 And so the church is now adjusting to a phase where our opinions come under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I, I, I think I've built a church over the decades well enough that if I got up on Sunday and said, oh, hey, everyone, you know, it's um, it's the law that no one's allowed to drink. Mm -hmm. My church would laugh at me and do whatever they wanted. That's like, right. <laughs> yeah. I have been clear with my church that I don't tell them what to think. Yeah. That's not mm. my job. And I've actually taken myself out of that space. And I, I still know that I have probably because of the way pastors are perceived, I have probably more influence than I should have over some people, mm, you know, and I'll yeah. say, look, I'm not going to tell you what to think. Cause I know I'm a pastor and you'll probably, you know, you'll probably feel intimidated by the power dynamic here. Mm. So mm. I won't tell you what to think, but the, the hard work has actually been making my opinion not compulsory so that now I'm in a place where I can have one opinion among everyone's opinion. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually a better place yeah. for me. Oh, I was just going to say the, the big shift was churches being able to be comfortable to say we don't actually have the answers. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, go back a year ago around homosexuality, you know, Hillsong released a statement where they just said, we don't know. Mm. You know, we're, we're oh, not at so that good. point yet or yeah. whatever, which, you know, I, I think in the Christian space a lot uh, – the, the gay Christian space, they really took it as a bit of a cop-out because, you know, they, they were sitting on the fence. Mm. But I think that was a big um, shift of actually a church saying, we don't know. We don't know yeah, the yeah. answers. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I think, as in my, you know, for lack of a phrase, I hate less deconstruction. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's so much of it has been not about, like it starts in a place where you go, oh, I used to think gay people were bad and now I think that gay people are good, right? Like 
you're kind of flipping your opinion on issues. Yeah. I used to think that abortion was a bad in every circumstance, mm. and now I don't. Um, or, but what I it found myself in the early stages was like hating the Lyle Sheltons of the world as much as I used to hate yes. the whoever's you know, not specifically, yeah. but let's say you know the Anthony Van Browns of the world, right? Like mm -hmm. the the antagonism that I had towards liberals, I now felt towards conservatives. Yeah, and and again, these days I I don't even fully know what to do with this. You know. The sense of you know, oh, I felt like God showed me because I'm not quite sure where I'm at in those spaces anymore. Mm. But, but it felt to me like you know, God at the time was going, "Hang on, like, how is that any better? Like, that's not an improvement. Mm. You know, like, all you, you you're as fundamentalist now as you were then. You just your opinion on issues has changed. Um, and yeah. then what I've increasingly become more comfortable with now is is the awkward in between you know hence the name of the podcast is that like i just think certainty is so incredibly overrated now yeah. and i feel so much more comfortable with the mystery you know and the un yeah. and going you know what i i think maybe this is true but i don't know mm. like and if yeah. i said i believe that's true right now and the funny thing, you know, when everything you used to believe has been shifted on its head in a matter of years, it, it you'd have to be a fair whack of being an idiot to, to actually be too certain about anything, right? Like, because if that can happen, then how do I know it can't happen again? So now it's just yeah. like holding everything pretty loosely is yeah. is a big part of where I've landed just to go, I don't know, there's not very much I feel certain about, you know, and I think that's okay. Yeah, and certainty isn't what faith is about. No. Mm. It, it never has been. It's, you know, th th there's a journey that we're on. Yeah. I just imagine, you know, Jesus coming to some fishing community, farming community, and shows up and, like, heals someone's blindness and then says to a bunch of people, follow me, and they're walking down the road. They didn't have a clue what was going on mm. <laughs> when that was happening. Yeah, and Jesus didn't answer questions. If you read the gospel, the, people are shooting questions at him left, right, and center, and he'll be like, "Oh, think about the birds and the flowers." Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like he never them. answered questions. He was far more likely to answer a question with another question, right? Like mm. than to actually give an answer. And then the funny thing yeah. is, like, it, it's questions that he's throwing back. Like, it, it's more still, it's artistic and it's like illustrative. And yet, we've got this Grecian mindset now where it's all supposed to be factual. So, like, Jesus, is like, oh, you know, like, kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed, and blah 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 blah. And yet, <laughs> and the, you know, and and you'll get people preaching about it and you. But the mustard seed's actually not the smallest of the seeds scientifically. So Jesus wasn't actually out there trying to make scientific statements of fact. He was actually just, you know, like, look at the birds of the field. Well, actually, if you do, if you were a zoologist, you go, well, the birds of the fields are fucking starving and getting mauled by foxes. But, you know, I mean, like, that's probably yeah. not the point either. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no, the, the problem with certainty is that then we start to get afraid that someone's going to take it away from us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which uh, fear is such a driving factor once you uh, are in yeah. that space where you think you're certain. That's where, you know, churches thrive, though, is, you know, they get these people in the church that just, you know, what we, you know, we say drink the Kool-Aid. So, you know, they're, they're just so bought into what, 
you know, the church offers them that that is the law and they don't question or they don't unbox or they don't, yeah. you know, explore that further and they go, no, this is the church, this is what I believe. Mm. Um, but then when you start questioning those people of go, well, why? Mm-hmm. They don't have the answers because it's just being delivered to them in a nice sealed box and they haven't actually unpacked that box mm. for themselves. And uh, the discussion years ago that, you know, I th- had with you, Dave, was, you know, like I have no problems with people who want to disagree with homosexuality, yeah. but I want them to understand it for themselves, not something that's just been presented to them. You know, they've grown up their whole life in a church and that's just what they've been told. So do you believe it because it's what you're told or do you believe it because you've researched it and you've come to your own understanding? And it's such a particular way of reading the Bible that results in a lot of those things too, right? Like, you know, like, and, you know, I, again, this journey for me has been, it's been an almost embarrassing journey at times. You know, I just find myself kind because I've always, I would like, I've probably always would have, leaned towards thinking of myself as a reasonably intelligent, intellectual kind of person, you know. And and every now and again, you kind of bump into these things where you realize, man, I haven't thought about this at all. I have just bought, yeah. like like you said, Steve, I have just drunk the Kool-Aid yeah. 100% on this particular issue. Uh, and and it's just like, it. it's really kind of this embarrassing moment and kind of like, oh, man, like I thought I was better than that and yet now I've realised that on that issue at least, I just bought in to the party line 100% without asking any questions and it's like, wow. I think a lot of queer Christians have as well because when I was was saying before I grew up and the view that I was presented was that homosexuality was a movement that people were trying to destroy families. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had role models on TV like Mr. Humphreys from Are You Being Served? Mm-hmm. And gosh, who else? Like Boy George. And so you make a picture in your head based on those people who are meant to be extreme performance artists. Yeah. And by the time I came out, I was way more homophobic than either of you have ever been. Hmm. Like violently horrible ideas, stereotypes about gay people. Mm. The only problem was I found myself being one. Mm, And, you know, for a while after that, trying to separate myself from those images, does that mean that I'm those things? Mm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like when you're saying there's, there's a journey that you go on and you feel like you were ignorant. Well, we were not given the opportunity. There was no book about this in the library when I was growing up. Mm, yeah. The teachers were not allowed to mention it. Um, all the information that we had was what was being fed to us by religion and media and politics. And it was twisted and it was horrible. And So I don't talk about homophobia as being the offence mm. or the bad thing. Mm. I think that homophobia is a symptom. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of... of justice and much deeper issues of truth and information that isn't being made available to people. And yeah, people will, um, there are some cynical people. I don't know if you saw the, the documentary pray away. Um, no, I've and seen, it, it I had, haven't watched it yet. I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, 
you're going to really enjoy it from our conversation tonight. It had a lot of the people in that that I used to listen to as a teenager saying that you can not be gay anymore, mm-hmm. who then finally gave up on that. And it was an incredible story listening not only to their experiences, but also how the political leaders in Family First and James Dobson and all those people manipulated them and put mm-hmm. them in a situation. Like there are people who are who are narcissistic, who are power-driven, mm. who are just cynically creating these negative messages. Yeah. Yeah. And in the 80s and the 90s, we couldn't Google it. You know, we, yeah, yeah. we yeah. just took what we were told. Yeah, it's true. It's funny, I, even as recently as, what, ni- uh, 2014, I think it must have been, second last year of Easter Fest. I think, I, like, it's striking to me, uh, I just I look at it now and I go, man, I was so naive. I had I fully didn't see it coming, but I literally I stuck um, uh, a prominent uh, Australian Christian lobby individual <laughs> on on a panel with me and and my you know Drew you know Drew um, Steve and um, uh, oh, what's his name from Jars of Clay Dan Hasseltine Dan Hasseltine. Hasseltine from um, Jars of Clay put us all on a panel. I can't remember exactly what we called it, but like that was the year that we had the theme for the the festival was Crazy Love, and uh, and just the whole idea of you know like what does just loving people look like? Of course, this is like dead bang in the middle of the um, uh, same sex marriage debate. Mm. When the only thing that the Australian Christian lobby had anything to say about was same-sex marriage, and so I, you know, like just totally naive, because had I thought about it for two seconds, I would have realised that you can't put that particular ACL person on a panel at that time and expect anything other than questions about that issue. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know, like what I completely didn't know is that Dan Hasseltine was in in the middle of a massive crisis of faith around that issue um, and he basically just blew up his world on the panel and on Twitter subsequently over the next like 24 hours going, yeah, no, I think I'm completely same-sex marriage affirming, you know, like literally Jars of Clay had every gig that they had had booked for the next six months cancelled on them overnight um, and I sent Dan an email going, dude, I'm so sorry. I had no idea what I was doing. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it, man. It was bound to happen one way or another. Wow. <laughs> so, it's so, yeah. You yeah. know, I, just- I was talking to uh, <laughs> Professor Clean Shifter, Clean, Shane Clifton. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you know him? He's a lovely name, yeah. guy. Taught at Alpha Cruces Bible College. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually chatting to AVB. Uh, that's what I call Anthony Van Brown. Um, and and he's like, I still feel guilty about that because I didn't know the whole story, that they had had a conversation, um, this video conversation through the issues of of sexuality and everything, and somehow what happened in that conversation ended up on YouTube and that's when he got in so much trouble. Like he was taken, he wasn't the leader at the college anymore. He was just a lecturer. Yeah. Um, He could do academic work, but he couldn't teach. Like he had so many restrictions placed on him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just those moments in conversation that, that 
blow your mind and, and transform everything. And obviously there's a long, hard road of mm. doing the research and thinking things through. Yes. But yeah. those moments that just change your life in an instant, yeah. they're incredible, aren't they? Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, I think those moments so often are not, you know, research-based, right? Mm. You know, like the research, I, I, I agree with you that like the research is important, like being out going and rethinking the logic that previously underpinned your old ways of thinking and, and kind of undoing all of that is important. But the real moments are so often just about somebody you care about or about- just that moment of revelation. I always now. think about um, Paul from the Bible having studied under the great rabbinic teachers of his age. Mm. And then being blown off his horse right. by a vision right. of a guy shining like the sun yep. and becoming totally different. And then nicking off to Arabia and doing three years more research <laughs> just because he has to now process everything yeah, that changed. I literally that just had that conversation with my mom the other day saying, like, you know, like you want to talk about somebody who went through deconstruction. You think about <laughs> him and his faith and who, yeah. what he believed. And then mm. <laughs> he gets. Knocked off yeah. his horse in a way that basically questions, calls everything he's ever believed into question. Mm. Yeah. Uh, no wonder he had to disappear into to the, you know, the ether for a few years to kind of try and process all that before he could come out and do anything with it. Actually, what's really yeah. interesting about Paul, so one of the things that, because I've mentioned before, I studied psychology. What's really interesting, so one of the things in psychology is, you know, like obviously you're looking at what things are nature and what things, you know, versus nurture and stuff like that. And um, apparently with, say, like fundamentalism, like there's a, a more of a, a nature um, influence on whether or not someone is going to be a fundamentalist about a particular viewpoint, right? So that's more genetically wired as your, your degree of fundamentalism. But what you're oh, yeah. fundamentalist about is more likely to be determined by nurture. And it's wow. really interesting when you think about <laughs> Paul, who on one hand, when he was yeah. a Pharisee, was stoning Christians. And then when he became a Christian, you read these writings here, you're as much a passionate <laughs> fundamentalist prick now as what you were then. It's just that now you're fundamentalist about oh, yeah. this. It's kind of fascinating, really. Oh. Look, just see me what I'm like about preparing tea. Yep. I am an absolute fundamentalist about how the tea is brewed. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's got to express itself somehow. So yeah. that's a, a that's a safe area for me to express my fundamentalism. <laughs> yeah, nice. Going back to what we were saying about the um, the plebiscite and the vote, I think that was such a big momentous thing in the church because of this whole purity culture of, you know, no sex before marriage, but Mm. then all of a sudden we've opened up this whole (laughs) ability of gay people to get married, then their whole argument of no sex before marriage dissolves. It was definitely problematic for some uniting churches, right, which basically pinned all of their (laughs) – it's kind of like, oh, yeah, no, we're – we're affirming, but you've got to be able to be married when you can't. So, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah. crap, now what do we do? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I have had conversations with people which is like, no, there's nothing wrong with being gay. It's just that none of you are married. So all gay sex is sex before marriage. <laughs> and I'm like, do yeah. I have to reply to this argument that is so incredibly stupid? <laughs> yes. But that's it. Like, I think the, the church has put just so much – eggs in that basket that when the plebiscite went the other way, then they were like, like oh, oh, crap, now what? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that, that purity culture has, has certainly not just been unhealthy in those spaces. I, I've been 
you know, it's been yet another thing that I've been kind of trying to process for myself in recent times is the extent to which me personally and my marriage have been negatively impacted by some of the toxicity of purity culture. You know, like it's just there's just there's a whole lot of bullshit mm, <laughs> that yeah. that just screws you up, you know? Like man, there's some stuff to unpack. You know, I was saying to Brady and Damo that in you know in our last interview, because they're both same age, you know, what, eight, nine years younger than me. And I'm just like, man, like or I, I just kind of feel like I've just got eight or nine years of extra baggage to unpack, you know, like on the journey. It's like I'm 10 years, you know, the best part of a decade older than Damien, but I feel like he's always a little bit ahead of me on the kind of unraveling things journey because he's just carrying 10 years less baggage than I am. <laughs> but, you know, like we hear story after story and you've heard them as well is, you know, people leave the church in this purity culture and then all of a sudden – you know, they're very liberal with their sexual, you know, and all of a sudden they're sleeping with absolutely everyone, yeah. you know, because... Again, Steve, I've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you and Dame I haven't met, right? <laughs> but that's it. They've been boxed up for so long, then all of a sudden they've flung that aside and they've gone from one extreme to the other. It's like, yeah. you know, this balance in the middle exists. Yeah. And people do react. Like if you are, you know, for years told that you're only allowed to wear, you know, like a tie and a cardigan, then all of a sudden you'll go out and you'll buy everything that you can find. Um, I think people, when they break free from purity culture, like I'll often have the conversation with people, please make sure you stay safe because in this six months uh, now that you've broken free is the highest risk that you're going to get an STD, end up being assaulted. All kinds of risks are just going to go through the roof. So just keep your wits about you in this moment. I think that's it. I think people are so used to it, you know, in real world, you know, they inch and inch and inch into that space. You know, you know, they, they lose their V card and, you know, they start exploring and all that sort of stuff. And it's inch by inch by inch. But, yeah. you know, in, in that sense where all that was internalized and weren't allowed to express it, then all of a sudden that yeah. explodes out yeah. and they haven't been able to explore it in a natural progression. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's such just a lack of trust there, right? Like it's so fear and power based in those institutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, can I just say like, a lot of your concerns about, oh, do I have a right to speak into this issue? Because I, I can't see the screen, so I'm not sure which person has said what yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But, you you know, you can't speak into these issues because you feel like you're coming from a white male perspective. Like, you have personal investment in these issues as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally believe, I don't think this is, you know, among my leftist slash woke, whatever you want to call us, friends, this wouldn't be a widely celebrated position. But I really think that the transformation that our society needs is actually for the white cisgender male to be healed because that subject has borne a lot of really toxic things, such as, you know, being told we're not allowed to have our emotions other than aggression and ambition. 
mm. and maybe benevolence, yeah, like yeah, those right. masculine emotions. Yeah. And just, you know, the way that that messes up. And, yeah, people talk about the toxic white male. There's a lot of toxic crap that has been pushed into the white male. And this conversation, you know, maybe this shouldn't be so much about gender and sexuality you said before. Well, I think that often it's men who are gay or queer or whatever who then become that, hey, no, we're people with emotions. Yeah. You know, people who um, can do everything from being quote unquote bitchy mm-hmm. to really, really loving beautiful clothes to doing all those things that men have been told they're not supposed to do. Yeah. We're your permission. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really, that's actually quite profound because that's for me, you know, myself, emotions has been something that I've always felt quite strongly and passionate. And I grew up, like my, my dad was a, um, he ended up training to become a counsellor and, you know, he, did, he became a counselling psychologist, which is why I got an interest in that as well. But learning the language of emotions was actually something that came quite normal and natural in my upbringing. So I was always somebody that was very emotionally intuitive and then it became quite a, yeah, like, yeah, going through that experience of going, well, that's not what men do. Um, and then feeling, well, that's what I do, though. Mm, mm. Um, and then going, is it because I'm, you know, and, and having this these social labels in camps and going, well, is it, am I gay? Am I queer? Am I, what am I supposed to be then? Because I have this experience of what it means to be me and I've got a penis, but I'm not having the experience that apparently I'm supposed to have while having a penis. And so then you, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 like just finding all these weird mm. spaces that, you know, and, what does it mean? And but then sitting because I I personally find far more comfort and solace among the gay community than I do among the straight community. But I think, as you're saying, Carl, it's because there I have that permission to just be emotional and free and interested in fashion and music and all the stuff, the arts, and 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 not have to talk about football and. <laughs> MMA and want to punch things, and yet you're still interested. hanging out with me sometimes. <laughs> And I'm also love like you know, like having like, like like the queer label now. I kind of feel like that's that's my label now because that sort of seems to be the permission that sums up that kind of experience of being able to go. Well, you know, you're just you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and it, it's yeah. not fitting in that straight box because I don't fit in that. Yeah, and you know, there's no reason why the word queer can't be used to describe a man who expresses emotions non-typically. Like, please don't feel like you have to, like there's some special criteria you have to meet in order to say, you know, actually I'm having a queer experience right now. Yeah. Um, I'm a white cisgender man, but I'm really attracted to this scarf. What's happening? Totally. Just having a queer experience. Just enjoy it. Exactly. It's good. (laughs) I, I love that. That's really good. I'm, um, I'm really lucky to be friends with Jay Baker, um, and he's oh, yeah, spoken right. at wow. our church before, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, actually met him at an MCC conference once. Um, oh, that was a good time. That was a good time. But his whole story is about, you know, his dad, mm-hmm. obviously, um, if you know anything. Uh, oh, I remember your, it at the time yeah. because it was actually very yeah, at the similarly time. timed but to my dad. But his experience of being... <laughs> absolutely demonized by the whole church. Yeah. And he's a kid. Yeah. And, you know, I still, this is where I'll definitely agree with the, the critique of cancel culture as such. Um, I'll still every now and then see people 
on the internet saying, uh, Jay Baker, he says some good stuff, but just avoid him because he won't renounce his parents. And I get, oh, that's like a red flag to a bull to me. I'm like, after everything he's gone through, he's got his, they're his parents. Yeah. Why does he have to renounce them? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and after, you know, reading a lot more about about his life, mm. I can't say I would go out of my way to help his dad in many situations. Yeah. Some of the things that that guy did, not about the money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Other stuff that's gone on. His mum, on the other hand, you know, I would, I'd go a million miles for. Absolutely mm. love Tammy mm. Faye. Oh, I, wa- I watched the, the, what was it, the yeah, movie, the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tammy Faye, yeah. Um, and i got to tell you, man, it was a bit triggering because I, I feel so much of that stuff. Did you, and, um, did you listen to Jay Baker when you went on Peter Rowland's podcast? I have, yes. Yeah, because yeah. that was fascinating yeah. too. And then his experience of watching that movie is yeah. going, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So oh, we had, we had Jay living in our house for you know a few days while he actually came to a Crave conference. Oh, and that's oh, so cool. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing person. But he's so uh, introverted in that yeah. because he's had so much external pressures on him and that mm. from life that he just needs to look after himself. And so he, yeah. he wraps himself in a cotton ball and just – you know, he looks after his own bubble. It's it's so precious. Mm. He's a lovely guy. Amazing. Absolutely lovely. Uh, I've heard him on a couple. Of, he did a, um, I think he did a, I was a teenage fundamentalist as well. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And like I said. And say, you know what he's really, really good on? Like his passion in scriptures for Galatians. Mm. Um, which what we were talking about before, the difference between following the rules and grace is the yeah. whole message yeah. of that book. Mm. Um, and, you know, how what you look for in a life of following Jesus is love, joy, and peace. Mm-hmm. That's the outcome. Yeah. And, you know, that there's no law against those things. Mm. So we fulfill the law by practicing love, joy, and peace. And yeah. you know, if the church would actually, you know, Galatians is supposed to be a favorite of conservatives. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and oh, if they could just understand that principle, yeah. live towards love, joy, and peace. And that's the highest thing that you can do. That's mm. The church would be saved by that. Well, thank uh, you, gentlemen. It's been uh, such a good chat. Really lovely. Hope to meet you guys in awesome. person one day. It'd be really cool. Just hang out. Oh my, yeah, 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 for sure. We need to do this with beers. Yeah.